Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. Please allow me to remind you that if you haven't already done so, you may sign up for our weekly podcast and have sermons like these delivered to your MP3 player every week. Just go to our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com and select the link for podcasts at iTunes on the right-hand side of the page. We hope you're benefited by these lessons. The lesson you're about to hear was presented on March 8, 2009. It was a special treat as I was out of town on that day, and Jim Boyd, one of our newer members, was invited to present the lesson. Open your Bible and get ready to study as Jim asks us, what do you look like? One of the things that I do when, whenever I teach or talk at Kim, it kind of drives me nuts. She always tells me that I share too much about myself. But the way I look at it, what good are life experiences if you can't share them? So with that in mind, when I was about 16, I was in a, in a class. And obviously I was not paying much attention because the teacher at one point said, Mr. Boyd, are you not interested in what's going on here? And I looked at him and I said, no, I'm okay. Well, as class went on, my disinterest became evident because I was like this, drooling on my hand. And when I woke up, I looked around and something was wrong. I couldn't figure out what it was. I sat there for a while, and about three minutes after waking up, I realized what it was. Everybody in the class was different. That's how sound asleep I was. The bell rang. The teacher had everybody quietly get up and leave, had everybody from the new class quietly come in and sit down. So when I woke up, I quietly went out and got my detention. But it was obvious to that teacher that I didn't care what was going on. I said one thing, but the message I sent was something completely different. And I think we have that a lot in our lives. Like you see somebody, and you're concerned about them, and you say, are you okay? And they say, no, really, everything is fine. But there's something about their face that you know it's not right. And you see this all the time. Or how about this one? If you're a parent and you have a little kid and you're wanting them to go somewhere, but you kind of feel like they don't want to go, and you get there and somewhere in it, you ask them, are you having a good time? And they say, yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. But you know something just isn't right about what they're telling you, right? You've seen that all before. And when Evan gets back, think about this. How many times have you said this to Evan? That was a great lesson. But remember, he's looking at you, and he'll know what you really think. He knows if you thought it was a great lesson or not. But let me ask you this. What if, instead of this screen up here, we could have some sayings? <laughs> and the sayings are, actions speak louder than words, but not often enough. What did Mark Twain mean by that? See, you can say what you want, but what you do is more important. But unfortunately, what you say Usually, it's something you say way more than something you do. Or how about this one? We don't know who, who coined it, but your life speaks so loud I can't hear what your words are saying. You ever heard that one? Now, this one takes... Anybody ever heard the Missouri State? Show me. They always say that, show me. Well, that came from a congressman in the late 1800s who some people had come to talk to him, and this was his reply to those people. And I would love to meet a guy like this. He says... Frothy eloquence neither convinces me nor satisfies me. I'm from Missouri. You've got to show me. What was he saying? All these people that come and make me big promises what they're going to do. He said, I don't care what you say. 
it doesn't satisfy me or convince me. You've got to show me. Well, you know what? God said exactly the same thing. In a discussion of faith, he said, if you show me your faith without works, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. Even God says, show me. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters how you look. So what if this right here were a huge mirror today that you guys could look at? And you could see yourself during the lesson. Unfortunately, you'd also see the back of my head that you could see yourself and what you're, the message that you're saying. Well, obviously, I can't afford a mirror this big. We can't get one. But imagine this. What if there were a camera? And that got me to thinking. We record this so that people who aren't here can go back and on the web listen to it and everything, but Edwin's not here. So I thought I would make it possible for Edwin to see what he missed. Not me, to see you guys. So with that, I'm going to set this camera up here. You ever heard of a fisheye lens? This thing has a fisheye lens. I'm going to set it right here. And I'm going to get it turned on. Hopefully. There we go. That ought to work. Hang on. All right, that looks pretty good. Now, everybody's thinking, well, we'll know if he's recording or not because of the red light. I knew you would think that way. I anticipated that. So, I got this little sticker right here. See if I can fill it off. There we go. You can no longer see that red light. So, you're not going to know if it's recording at all. But, it might be. You just won't know that. So now the thing you got to think about is, how do you look? Now, the point of this lesson today is not how you look sitting out here in the, in the church. That's not the point at all. What I want us to think about when we consider how we look is what is our message sending to the people around us in our life? What is it we're telling them by what we do? So let's start by considering how do we look to other people within the congregation? If you will, take your Bibles. And turn to Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew 23, Jesus was talking to some crowds, and there were some Pharisees there. And starting in verse 1, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees have seated themselves in the chairs of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you to do, do and observe. Did you catch this? We always talk about the Pharisees having everything wrong. But here's Jesus saying, whatever they tell you, do it. Observe it. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do them not. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move so much as a finger. But all of but they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels and their garments. Jesus is giving a pretty stern warning here. There's some people that are, are telling people how to live, and there's nothing wrong with telling somebody what they ought to do, unless you yourself are not doing it, right? I mean, we've all known people like that, and nobody likes it. So Jesus is saying, look, what they're saying essentially is correct. So whatever they're saying to do, go ahead and do it because that's the right thing to do. But don't do what they're doing. Don't follow their example. 
because they're doing it only to be seen by men. That's the only reason they're doing it. Remember that actions speak louder than words? You know, it's not enough for us to say we love God. It's not enough for us to say we want to do what God says. We have to follow through, right? Why do we come here and sing praises to God? Why do we do that? Because it shows people what we think, what we feel, how much love we have for God. What about the Lord's Supper? Do you realize that is a proclamation of Jesus and his death until he comes again? It wouldn't be enough to say, yeah, we love Jesus, and then never come here and take the memorial. God gave us something to do. He gave us an action to show people what it is we believe. And here he's saying, be careful about that. Don't tell people to do one thing and not do it. Now, I'm not saying your deeds aren't needed, because they are. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits, and the fruits are what they do. When you see a tree and there's an apple on it, you don't, look, you don't say, look at that beautiful pear tree. You know it's an apple tree. So you will know them by their fruits. Now everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We have to follow through on our actions. God wants us to do things. So when we think about how we look to others, here's some things I want you to think about others within the congregation. How do you deal with gossip? when you hear somebody gossiping? Do you say, well, it's factual, so therefore it's not gossip? You ever heard that one? They're just telling me the truth. Or when somebody starts gossiping to you, do you just cut them off? Do you stop and say, I don't think it's appropriate to be discussing this? Somebody might be a little bit offended by that, but I get, you know what? They'll see by your actions that you don't want to be part of that gossip, and maybe that will help them and not continue to do that. What about accusations? What about an accusation against you? We always think about accusations against other people, but what about an accusation against you? How do you deal with it? Let's go to Matthew 5. I want you to think about this and the topic of forgiveness. It's a little bit of a touchy subject for me because sometimes I think we place more demands on ourselves than God places on himself. Now, I'm not going to make this a lesson on forgiveness, but I want you to think about this. God is willing to extend us that forgiveness, right? Anytime we ask for it. Anytime we do what he's asked us to do. But then, we talk about forgiving other people, and we're like, well, we're going to forgive them. But we never point their sin out to them. Or if we have something against us, an accusation against us, we say, well, that person ought to forgive me. But maybe we never deal with it. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, it says, Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come present your offering. It doesn't say, if you remember your brother has something against you, but you know what? You know he's wrong. I know he's got something against me, but he's wrong. It's a misconception. 
Whatever he's thinking is just wrong, so let him think it. It doesn't matter. Does it say that? Does it say that the person has to be right? It says if you know something, somebody has something against you, you stop what you're doing and you go to that person and you deal with it. You don't ignore the fact that somebody has something against you. Now, I'm not saying you be confrontational. I'm not saying you get up in somebody's face. But what God is saying is your worship is going to be affected. Your life is going to be affected if somebody has something against you and you don't make it right. And you notice the key word here is reconciled. This is a problem that the unity of you and your brother is not there. And you've got to fix it. And who's the responsibility on? Not the person with the accusation, the person, person who has something being accused against them. That's something you've got to think of. And then, you know, I talked about forgiveness a little bit. Let's turn to Luke chapter 17. Remember I talked about do we have to just automatically forgive somebody? And that's not what I'm getting at. I'm not trying to make this a lesson of forgiveness, but what I want you to think about is this. A lot of times when we talk about forgiving somebody, let's say we know somebody has done something wrong. What we want to do is say you have to forgive that person. But we don't ever deal with the situation. Look at Luke 17, verse 3. It says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Here's the way we want to read it. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, forgive him. That's the way we want to read that. We want to leave out rebuke and if you repent. We just want everybody to be like child, children of the 60s, I guess, hold hands, hop around, be loving each other, and never deal with situations. Never confront them. Never let somebody know that they've got a problem in their life. That's, is that how you want to appear to other people? Do you want to be, appear to somebody who's a Christian that doesn't have the courage of his convictions to deal with the thing that Jesus had demanded we deal with? Or do you want to be somebody that just, no, oh, everything's fine? That's an important concept that we have to grasp. Now, how do we look to people in the world? Hang on, let me check in. Okay. How do we look to people in the world? I want to share something else from my life. I was at work, and me and this guy decided we're going to go out to lunch. And I don't know if you've ever heard of a, a Christian singing group. And I use that word Christian loosely. It's a, it's a religious singing group, uh, a cappella. I had a tape in my car, a cappella. The guy gets in, we're sitting there, and he says, what's that? He pulls out and looks at it, and I explain it to him. He goes, I didn't think you were a church-going guy. Can you imagine how crushed I was when he said that? Now, honestly, I had just got back into committing my life to Christ. I was in my mid-20s. I've been living any way I thought was okay. But when he said that, it crushed me. Did the guy even have the famous concept as a Christian? Obviously not. But remember, your actions are going to speak louder than your words, but your words are going to give meaning to your actions. You can be the nicest guy in the world that helps everybody. You can do hurricane relief. You can help orphans. You can help people on the street. None of it means a thing, in my opinion, unless you're giving glory to God for the fact that God has given you the means to help people who have suffered tragedy, that God has given you the means to take in an orphan, that God has given you the means to help people with their needs. If you don't glorify God in, in your actions, 
you're, you're just a nice guy. You're just a good person. And people will never understand, maybe, why it is you're a nice guy and what you're trying to do. I'm not saying that you should wear your religion on your sleeves. I'm not trying to get that at all. But what I am saying is be kind to people, be fair to people, um, think about how you're talking about people. For instance, I, I came into an organization a few years back where it was all type A personalities. Everybody in the office was type A. And the only way they could feel better about themselves in some regard was to run down somebody else. In other words, to elevate their performance, their position, they had to run somebody else down. And women, please don't get offended by this when I say this, but I told a guy one day, I said, we are worse than a bunch of cackling women. I'm, I'm sorry, I apologize. But you know what I'm saying? A guy would get up and walk out of the room, and it's like, nah, 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 nah. immediately start talking about, well, you know, if he would do his job, I wouldn't have to cover for him. And then the guy saying that would get up, well, if that guy would talk about these. You know, it was horrible. It was ridiculous. So me and about three guys, we decided that we were going to change that. We said, look, we're going to make this a different place. It's not going to be that way. But you know what the three of us had, or three of us had in common anyway? Was that we all, in some measure, had a love for God. And we knew that participating in that was wrong, but the problem was we had been participating in it. And we realized we were, we were sending the wrong message. Then I want you to think about this. I, I went to, when I was, most of you know I was in the Army. Some of you may not, but most, most of you guys know. I was stationed in Korea. And when I was there, they had these things in the military called a hail and farewell. And what that means is they're, they're welcoming in the new people and they're saying goodbye to the old people. So I was one of the new guys, and we were at this barbecue, and everybody's standing around. And this one guy that is leaving stands up there, and he says, I just want to give praise to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for seeing me through this tour. And this guy behind me says, you know what? That's half of that guy's problem right there. And I was like, wow, that's pretty strong. And I, you know, I didn't pursue it right then, but I actually went to this guy a little bit later. I said, hey, when, when the guy that was leaving stood up and said that he wanted to thank Jesus, and you said... That was half his problem. What did you mean by that? And he goes, well, you didn't know him. He goes, I knew him. He said, the guy's unprofessional. He didn't know his job. And in the military, you have to maintain some semblance of being in shape. He was a good 40 pounds overweight. Couldn't run two miles without stopping. Everything about him screamed unprofessional in his chosen profession. And this guy said, if he gave half as much attention to his job as he did to God, and he said it very sarcastically, he'd be one of the best guys in our unit. That was a problem, in my opinion, because who are we to do all things for? Everything we do should be for the glory of God. If you don't know your job, shame on you. If you're considered unprofessional with your peers, shame on you, because you are reflecting God if they know you're a Christian. Now, if they don't know you're a Christian, be a slacker. You know, then it doesn't matter. Then what you look like is who you are. But don't think about yourself and how you look. I gave up thinking about myself and how I look a long time ago. Think about how God looks. Think about how God reflects on you. Think about how you reflect God back. And at some point, you have to speak up for why you're doing things. Let's go to Luke chapter 12.
And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Don't relegate this to a one-time confession when you're standing in the baptism. When you're, when you're waist deep in water and you make that good confession and you're baptized, don't make that the only time that you're supposed to do this. Make this an ongoing part of your life. Confess Christ before men constantly. Now, I'm not saying be a Bible beater. I'm not saying do that because you can overdo it. But your life has to reflect God. Your life has to show what you're doing. Now, before I go on to this next part, men of the congregation, what is it? Do you guys remember a couple Sundays ago I did the Lord's Supper talk and Evan got all upset and he said, man, Jim's been here a couple months. Do you remember what it was that upset him? The one word? What was it? What was it? What was it? Come on, all the men. What was it? All right, now when he gets back, I want you to say, man, there was one point where almost every man in the congregation said amen. All right. That will eat him up. And then he'll listen to the tape and he'll see what really went on. All right, so anyway. I want you to think about how do you look to yourself. When you do that, that self-inspection, when you're looking at yourself, do you see yourself as justified? And I want to talk about that. Do you see yourself as, as somebody who's got it made? I've, I've done what I need to do. I know what things are. Are you always right? Are you the person, are you the person that knows everything? Are you the person that has the solution for every problem? And the elders are never right. And you'll, you'll, you'll say a prayer for the elders. You'll pat them on the back and say they need our support. And then you get in the car with your wife and kids and you go, you know, if the elders would just do this. You know, how is it you're living your life? What are the things you're saying? Do you, do you look at other people and see yourself as higher than you ought to? Look at Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. And he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves. And get the reason he's saying this. Jesus was not a coward. Jesus was not a man who ever withdrew from telling somebody what they needed to hear. He's talking to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So he tells a story that cuts to the bone. Remember the guy that told me? Hey, I didn't know your church going guy. He cut me to the bone unintentionally. This is what Jesus is doing here. They, they trusted themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, tax collectors were despised. They were the scum of the earth as far as the Jew is concerned. The Pharisee stood and was praying to himself. God, and I want you to picture this. Picture a guy standing on the temple steps saying this. God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Would you, can you imagine a prayer like that? I mean, think about this morning. If I said, God, I thank you that I am not like Martha. I just had to say that, Martha, because it encouraged me to give this morning. But can you imagine saying a prayer like that? There are people that say, God, I thank you that I'm not wrong. There's people that pray that way, I believe, because Jesus wouldn't have used it as an example if there weren't. I fast twice a week. I take tithes of all I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, 
this kills me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. This guy has the humility to admit his station in life. He looked and said, God, how many times do we pray that? How many times do we get before God and say, forgive me as a sinner? Do we do that? Or do we say, thank you that I know the truth? Thank you that I'm at a church that's doing everything it's supposed to. Thank you that I'm not misled. What is our prayer? It ought to crush you when we read these words. It ought to cut you to the heart. Because Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. It's about humility. I hope you can understand that. You can tell people what you believe and how you believe it and be humble about it. You can do it and not be arrogant. Don't ever look at yourself and think you're better than they are because you're not. Don't ever look at yourself and say, you know what? Jesus died for me. Look at other people and say, Jesus died for them. And he showed me why he died. And I need to show them. I need to share it. That's how you should pray. That's how you should look. So when I say, do you feel justified? What I mean is this. Do you think you've done what it takes to be saved? Or do you think that God has done for you what it takes to be saved? Let's go to Romans chapter 2. Romans 2 verse 13. This is one we've got to be careful about. It says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are justified before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Again, it's that fine balance. It's not saying you can't just do anything because Jesus did it for you. You have to do things. And then let's go down. I'm going to start at, at verse 19. It says, And are you confident that you yourself are a guide of the blind, a light to those who are in the darkness? There's nothing wrong with having that confidence. There's nothing wrong with being sure that you know how to get people who don't know the truth there. A corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having the law, the embodiment of knowledge, and the truth. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? In other words, if you're telling people how they should live like the Pharisees were, you need to be listening to your own word. It says, you that preach one not to steal, do you steal? Now, that seems pretty well. Now, I'm not a thief, so he's not talking to me. You that say, once you're not committed adultery, do you commit adultery? I would never commit adultery. He's not talking to me. You aboard aisles, do you rob temples? Well, that's getting a little bit closer to home because we might say, you know, other people are doing the wrong things, but when it comes to church and how I'm giving to God, you know, in the Old Testament they gave 10%, so that's what I'm going to do. You know, what are we doing with our lives? You who boast in the law that you're breaking the law, do you dishonor God? Now, here's the one that's scary. It says, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. If you're saying one thing and doing another, God will be blasphemed because of it. And I'll share another life experience. I went through a church split, and I don't know if anybody here has been through one. It is the most horrific experience of my life. Never been through anything like it, ever. And when I went to work, I was supposed to be going on a trip, and I was, I was shaking. This was Monday morning. This all happened on a Sunday. On Monday morning, I got with one of the guys that was supposed to go on this trip, and I told him, I said, look, I've had a very significant emotional event, so while we're on this trip, we need to focus on procedure. I, I knew I was distracted. 
I said, we need to focus on procedure. We need to follow our checklist. We need to make sure we're doing everything right. I said, because I'm distracted. This guy went to my commander. My commander called me in, talked to me, and he pulled me off the trip. That's how emotionally distraught I was. And there was no hiding it. Everybody I worked with knew it. There was no hiding it. I couldn't lie about it. I had to be honest about what I'd been through. There was guys in the weeks that followed that said to me, you know what, Jim? If that's the way your brothers and sisters are treating you, I don't want anything to do with it. Other people even went to say, and he said this verbatim, that kind of stuff proves to me that God is a farce. If you don't treat your brothers and sisters the way you should, God will be blasphemed. And that's a horrific, horrific thing to think about. Having said all that bad stuff, let me say some good stuff. You can be confident about where you are in life. You can be confident about who you are. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart, full of assurance of faith, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises is, he who promised is faithful. We can have confidence. I'm not, you know, if, if you over-examine yourself all the time, it'll drive you nuts. If you over-examine God, it'll give you confidence. If you make your life not about you, but you make your life about God, you'll have faith. You'll have assurance. And people will know, even when you mess up, that it was a mess up. But that your life is about God. Not that you're perfect, but that your life is about God. And they'll understand that. How about guilt? Do you ever look at yourself and see guilt? I struggle with this one for... A long, long time. I would look at the things I'd done in my life, and you remember how I said you shouldn't look at other people and say, well, I'm better than that person? I would look at everybody else and say, I'm just, I'm, I'm horrible. My heart is black. I would be at church, and I would see people doing good things, and I'd say, well, that's what I ought to be doing, but I'm just, I'm no good. It, it's, it doesn't do me any good to do that because I'm not no good. Who was I leaving out of that equation when I said that kind of stuff? I'm leaving God out of it. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret. Without regret. If I trust God, I should be able to change my life and not regret. I might wish I hadn't done some of the things I hadn't done in my past, but I don't need to just constantly regret it. Leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, with what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. That's the key right there. Your repentance has got to bring about these things. The fear of God. 
the longing, the zeal to work for him. What avenging a wrong? And that's why I was suffering guilt. I know it now. The reason I was suffering guilt is because I wasn't doing anything. I was in my mid-twenties. I committed myself to Christ. But nobody had a clue I was a Christian. I wasn't doing anything for him. I'm not saying I'm trying to be justified by works, but look what true repentance without regret brings. It brings longing. It brings zeal. It brings working. It brings knowing that you've been saved. It brings confidence. I was lacking those things. I kept looking at my past, saying God couldn't possibly forgive me. So I was calling God a liar. God tells me he, it doesn't matter what I've done. He'll forgive me. And I was like, well, you say it, but I don't believe it. But God followed through with his actions, didn't he? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's what God did for me. He didn't just say it. He didn't say, Jim, I love you. He sent his son to die for me. So if I truly repent, I should be able to look at my past and say, you know what, that's an experience that now maybe I can share with people. But I don't have to regret it. I don't have to go through my life thinking I'm some kind of horrible person that can never be forgiven because I can be forgiven. So here's what I decided. I actually heard this on a radio program. I was, I was struggling with it, struggling with it, struggling with it. And it took a talk radio show host to get this across me. This, it was a woman. Her name is Dr. Laura. You may, I think it's Dr. Laura. You see on the radio. I think that was her name. Anyway, um, this guy had called me and talked about how guilty he felt about something and all, you know, and she said, well, do you believe you've been forgiven? Or yes. And he was crying and, and, and he just couldn't get past it. And she said, give yourself this test. If you put yourself in that same situation now, would you do those same things again? And that's when the light bulb went on. My answer was yes. I had called Christ, but I had not repented. I was going to church, but I had not repented. I was serving on the Lord's Supper, but I had not repented. I hadn't changed my life. And when that light bulb went on, I realized that's what was eating me. Because in that same situation again, I would gossip about that person. In that same situation again, I might lie to a person about something. In that same situation again, I might cheat. I might fall asleep in class. I might do whatever you want. You name it. Maybe I would do it. That's when I realized I had not repented. That's when I got on my knees and I repented. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I'm the greatest guy in the world. What I'm saying is God gave himself for me. God gave himself for you. And he expects me to do something about it. He wants people to see something in me. So, think about this one. How do you look to God? And I'm going to turn this off now. Actually, you know what? It was never on. You probably figured that out. I never even had the thing on. Because it doesn't matter what I would have recorded. It doesn't matter what Evan would have seen. It doesn't matter what I'm seeing. It doesn't matter what you're seeing. What it matters is, is what God is seeing. Now, you're going to notice I don't have any verses in this section as we go through this. Why? Because only you and God know. That's it. All the verses in the world that I read would not make a difference. Because only you and God know what you truly look like to him. Does he see your love? Does he know that you love him? Does he know that your actions follow through? In other words, <coughs> he's asked us to proclaim his son's death. 
That's an easy one. We can put our fingers on that. We can touch it. We can feel it. We know the deal. He's asked us to do that, and if we do it, we know we're doing what he wants us to do. But that is such a small part of our life as a Christian. What we do here on Sunday morning for 15, 20 minutes is a very small part of our life as a Christian. Does he truly see the love that you have for him? Or does he see that you're asleep? What is it? I'm not talking physically asleep sitting in these pews. I'm talking, have you gone to sleep? Is that what your life has become? Let's pray. Our dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for being our God, for telling us that you love us, but doing more than just telling us, showing us that you love us, giving us sacrifice to your Son, showing us that through his love for us as well, that we can have forgiveness. And help us to take that, help us to take the actions we've taken to follow you and not just give lip service to it, not just say that we want to serve you, but actually serve you. Let people know that we're Christians. Proclaim to the world that we are Christians. Not to be arrogant with it, not to be self-righteous, but to have confidence in you, to back up our actions with the words you have given us, to be able to explain to people from the Bible why we do the things that we do, and to give glory to you, to love you more, and to be a better servant. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. I hope this lesson edified you and glorified God. If you have any questions about this lesson or any spiritual needs or prayer requests, please feel free to contact us at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. Also, if you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area, we would love to meet you face-to-face. Please join us for any of our assemblies or classes. You can find times and directions on our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We look forward to meeting you. Finally, I want to remind you again that you can subscribe to these sermons as a weekly podcast by selecting the podcast at iTunes link on our website. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.